you have your Bibles with you this morning and you would, find with me the book of 1 Samuel, the 20th chapter, as we are going verse by verse through this book. And as you're finding that, I have a card that I would like to read uh, this morning. <clears throat> Dear Ten Mile Church family, I would like to thank you for your prayers at the passing of my brother, Alan. I would also like to thank you for the gift I received. I will cherish it. We love all of you. And that is from Larry and the entire Knowles family. And so as Larry's brother passed away, I continue to pray for him and their entire family. So as always, I pray that you would actually pray for one another. I don't know if you've ever done that before or not, but you've probably told someone that you'd pray for them. And then you walked off and you what? Forgot all about it. But yet I hope that you will be a praying people. And so if you're taking notes this morning, and I hope that you will, we are continuing our series on overcoming personal attacks. And this is part six of this series. And I just want to recap very quickly where we've been. <clears throat> we looked at how God prepares his people for the attack or the difficulty that's coming. We looked at how God is with his people in the difficulties or personal attack. We've looked at how God will provide for his people in the middle of difficulties. We've looked at how God's love shines through his people. And last week we looked about how God works in our lives. And there were two ways, miraculously and through other people. And today I want to talk to you about one of the most difficult topics in all of scripture. And that is faithfulness. I think as people, and we won't admit this, that trusting people is something all of us struggle with. We have all been hurt by people, and we have all hurt people. We've all been faithful to other people, and we have been unfaithful to other people. And so when the Bible talks about the faithfulness of God, a God that cannot lie, a God that is always truthful, that He's always faithful. I think it's something that we as individuals really struggle with because that's not what we know. We know people that'll be good to you in the good times and bad to you when it suits them. We probably even think about our own personal failures and said, man, I was a terrible friend in that moment. Or man, I was not there for that person when they needed it. And so our mind immediately goes to our failures and our unfaithfulness and our lack of trustfulness truthfulness, and yet we're supposed to comprehend a God that, that is faithful. And so today this sermon is about two things. One, showing you how God is faithful. But two, what it looks like when God either uses you or brings someone into your life that is that faithful person, that walks with you through the difficulties, that prays with you through the tears, that stands beside you when everyone else runs. And so those two things this morning, I want to challenge you to trust and know that God is faithful in your life and to look and see if you are that faithful person that God is using to make a difference in other people's lives. Or maybe you're here today and you're saying, Jake, I am in the midst of the lowest point of my life. I have never been through more difficulties, more challenges. I've never had more pain and suffering in my life. Because this morning I want you to know that not only will God be with you, 
But if you will be aware, God will bring people into your life that will be there with you. And so we've got a lot of scripture to get together today through. And so we're not going to read it all and then explain it. We're just going to journey through it together. And so if you would stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer, we will jump right in. Father, I thank you for the wonderful morning that we've had. Lord, I'm thankful for the just the privilege to gather together to worship you. Father, I, I pray today that you would speak through me. Lord, that you'd forgive me of my sin. And Lord, that you would, Lord, just work for your glory. Father, I pray today that you would help us to, to remember, Lord, that you are wanting to work in our life. I, Lord, I think back to the first Sunday after 9-11, 20 years ago. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us a passion for you even greater than what it appeared there was that day. Lord, I pray for those families and those individuals that are still hurting and mourning this weekend, Lord, for the losses that they have experienced. Lord, I thank you for the men and women that serve our great country, Lord, in so many different ways. And I ask, Lord, that you would be with us today for your glory. Lord, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so if you're taking notes this morning, and I really hope that you do, and I always say this for two reasons. One, so that you can go home and you can study the sermon and you can get something out of it through the week. And second, that you can always make sure that what you are hearing is the Word of God, not the opinions of Jacob Gray, but the Word of God is being taught to you. And so the first thing I want to show you this morning, if you're taking notes, is that being faithful doesn't depend on our circumstances. Being faithful doesn't depend on our circumstances. And I want you to think about that through the lens of the two questions that I've asked you. This morning, I want you to know that God being faithful does not depend on what you're going through. God is going to be faithful no matter if you are in a time of great blessing or if you are in a time of great heartache. This morning, I want you to know that your faithfulness as a person to other people, to, to your marriage, to, to your uh, co-workers, does not depend on the circumstances that you're in. How many of you believe that as long as you stay at 60 or under, you're still obeying the law when you drive, right? It's a suggestion, not a law. But I'm guessing that all of you who think that probably come to a point in your life from time to time when 60 is just not enough, right? You're coming to church late. You're going to work late. You're behind someone that's going slow and you need to get home and go to the bathroom, right? In those moments, 60 is probably more like it's 65. As long as it's 64, as long as you don't go 10 miles an hour over, you're probably okay. You see, in those moments, your principles change. And this morning, I want you to know something that I don't care this morning how bad things seem to be. This morning, no matter how overwhelmed you feel, God's faithfulness will be there regardless of what you're going through. And I want to show you that this morning, starting in verse 8. And as you're familiar, David has come to Jonathan, King Saul's son, and said, why is your dad trying to kill me? What have I done? This is probably one of the lowest points of David's life. And I want to read this with you. And so, starting in verse 8, we're just going to journey through this together. Therefore... You shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself. 
For why should you bring me to your father? But Jonathan said, Far be it from you. For if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me? Or what if your father answers you roughly? David does what everybody does. He says, Genuinely, why is this happening to me? And friends, this morning, you've probably been there. Why is the person that I thought would never fail me, fail me? Why is the person I thought never gets sick, has gotten sick? Why did I think that this could never happen, but yet it has? I want you to know something this morning. God is big enough to answer your why questions. God can handle it. And so when you go to Him in prayer, there's nothing wrong with asking God why. But you need to know that if God gives you an answer that you don't want to hear, you have to be okay with that as well. And so what we see here is Jonathan is telling him, I, I, I think my dad has got a problem with you, but I don't think he's going to kill you. But if I knew that he was, I, I would tell you. And so this morning, I really want you to see this, that David has every opportunity here, and so does Jonathan, to abandon their friendship, to abandon being faithful. But look what it goes on and says here in verse 12. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, I, and I do not send to tell you and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. <coughs> And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I am still alive, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. What Jonathan says is, I will go to my dad and I will find out once and for all if he wants to kill you. But he says, I want you to do something for me. I want you to promise that when God destroys your enemies, when God sets you on the throne, that you'll remember my family. That you won't bring vengeance to my family like my dad has done to you. I don't know if you know this or not. Friends, that's how God loves you and I. I want you to hear this this morning. God knew every sin that you would ever commit before you were ever born. God knew every wicked thought that you would have, every failure in your life, but yet died for you anyway. God could have been vengeful to you. God could have said, they don't match up. They don't meet the standard. They're, they're never going to be exactly what I want them to be here. But yet he still died for you and I. How many of you have ever said this? Well, you know, I, I know that I should love them, but... I know that I should forgive them, but that's all you're making yourself out to be. You know that, right? But in those moments, it's easy to forgive some people, and it's not as easy to forgive others. In those moments of our life where we know that someone meant well, but they didn't do right, it's easy to forgive those. But those people who just dislike us and make our life miserable, it's easy in those moments to say, vengeance is mine. But what Jonathan says here is, David, you have every right to, to destroy my family. You have every right if God is with you. 
Because you are going to be victorious. But what I ask for is mercy. And friends, God is willing to extend mercy to you. And what this shows me is it doesn't matter what family you come from, whether you are of the most noble family, or if your mom and dad are the biggest scoundrels the world has ever seen. If you want mercy, you can have mercy. You see, Jonathan just asked for mercy even though he didn't deserve it. He couldn't have got it himself. He recognized that David was God's man and that God was going to use David to destroy everyone that stood against him. And Jonathan says, our family is a part of the problem. And so this morning, I want you to see this, that in no situation can I say, I know that God doesn't want me to, but I should. Or is there no situation where God says, word says, I know that I should, but I won't. You see, David shows us here that it is always God's will for me as a Christian to extend what? Mercy. Because God is willing to extend mercy to me. And so it goes on here in verse 16. And it says right here, So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hands of David's enemies. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed and remain by the stone of Azeel. Then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And there I will send a lad saying, go, find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, Look, the arrows are on the side of you. Get them and come. Then, as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, Look, the arrows are behind you. Go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the manner, matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed, the Lord be between you and me forever. And so, as you know, in this day and age, they didn't have cell phones. And Jonathan couldn't text David and say, you better hide, Dad's trying to kill you. He couldn't text him and say, hey, we're going to meet at 3 o'clock behind East Side, and we're going to talk about this. What they're doing is they're putting a plan in action because Jonathan probably knows that Saul is watching for David. And Jonathan doesn't want to be the person that leads Saul to David and cost David his life. <clears throat> and so this morning I want you to see this. That God is at work in this situation. God has brought Jonathan and David together. That Jonathan would be used by God. That in this moment of David's life. Because I want you to hear this this morning. And I want you to think about your own life this morning. I want you to think this morning about the time in your life. When you were probably as low as you could ever go. Maybe it was a health reason. Maybe it was financial. Maybe it was when you were under conviction to be saved. Maybe it was when everybody that you thought would be loyal to you has abandoned you. Maybe it's the time when someone's got the worst rumor that's ever been said about you going around town. In that moment, I want you to think about how God was with you. And I want you to think about the people that God used in your life to be with you. Because that's where David is. 
Outside of when David is under conviction for what he did with Bathsheba, I believe this is probably the lowest point of his life because David has done nothing wrong. David has been a faithful servant. He's been a faithful soldier. He's been a faithful friend. He's been a faithful everything. He has done everything that he was supposed to do, but he is on the run from his li- for his life. He has been chased. He's been everything. And here he is thinking, how much worse could it get? And he goes to the one person that God has brought into his life that means so much to him, Jonathan. And this morning I want to challenge you. Because if God is with you, And God has brought people into your life to be with you. You are not alone in the difficult moments of your life. One of my favorite verses comes from 2 Timothy 2, verse 13, speaking about God. If we are faithless, that's us. He remains what? Faithful. He cannot deny himself. My last name is Gray. My father is a Gray. His father was a Gray. Even though I might change my name, even though I might not tell you that I'm a gray, that is who I am. It is in my DNA. It's in my, that's who I am. And what it says here is God is not just faithful in his actions. He is faithful in his attributes. God is where faithfulness comes from. God has no other choice but to be faithful. And so where I will fail you as a pastor, God will not. Where I might fail you as a friend, God cannot. Where I might fail as a husband, God cannot. And so in those moments in your life when you feel like that you have been completely faithless, that you have failed and you've struggled and stumbled, God is still faithful. And I want to stop here for just a moment because one of two things happens right now. On one spectrum, some of you are thinking about all the ways you've ever failed God. I didn't witness here, or I lost my temper there, or or I said something I shouldn't say there, or man, I made a mess of this, and guilt begins to set in. I want you to look up here. Guilt is not from God. Conviction is from God. And when conviction sets in and you repent of your sins and God forgives you, God expects you to leave it where it is and move on. But that's what happens. But the other extreme of that, and this is what happens. Some of you this morning are saying, Well, you know, Jake, I am a sinner, but I don't sin near as bad as other people. And I know I shouldn't say that thing that I say when I get angry, but we're all entitled to our sin. Or you might even be saying, Jake, well, you know what? I'm really a pretty good person, and and I don't feel guilty about anything. You know, I've done pretty good. And both of those extremes are wrong. Friends, I can do nothing for you if you sit here today and think that you don't sin. Or that you think your sin doesn't matter. That's a God issue that you have a problem with. Only He can humble you. And can convict you of your sin. But what I can do today is speak to you. Who feel like you have failed God so much that He couldn't use you. Or your past is so break, broken that He couldn't save you. This morning God says He is faithful. He is faithful to offer salvation to you. And that if you'll repent of your sins. And call upon his name. He can save you. Today if you're here and you're a Christian. And you feel that you've made a mess of everything. God says that he is faithful. To not throw you away. Today you say well Jake. I just just don't know how I can go on. You can't on your own. But God remains faithful. 
Second thing I want to show you this morning is that not only does faithful not depend on our circumstances, being faithful can cost you everything. You say, wait a second, Jake, being faithful could cost me everything. I want to show you here, starting in verses 34 as we move on, 24, excuse me. Then David hid in the field, and when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Now the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is unclean. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has the son of Jesse not come to eat, either yesterday or today? And I want you to think about this because Jonathan has a choice he could make right here. He could say, I'm in line for the throne. I don't know where David's at. He could be thinking, you know, my dad tried to kill David. And if I speak up for David, he might just try to kill me. But listen to the faithfulness of Jonathan in verse 28. So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go for our family has a sacrifice in the city. And my brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. Now you say, Jake, that's a lie. That is a flat out lie. Well, I want to speak to that just quickly because I don't believe you can skip any verses when you go verse by verse. I want you to think about Nazi Germany in the end of the Second World War as people were hiding the Jewish people in, in, in their walls and in cellars and in different places. And if a Nazi German soldier came to your door and said, are you hiding Jews here? And they said, yes, what do you think would have happened? They'd have murdered them and the Jewish people. And so I am guessing that when they came and asked their house, are there Jews being hid here? They would have said no. And so I do not believe that God gives us a license to sin. And so if you're here today and you said, Jake, I've got the worst hangnail I've ever had and I can't come to church and it's really just you clipped your toenails too short, that's not what we're talking about, all right? But I do believe when the sanctity of human life is involved in a situation like this that God understands. I think there are still consequences for lying. I still think there is, is consequences for probably what Jonathan did. But God uses this as an opportunity to show Jonathan what De Saul was really feeling. If you want a better explanation than that, I can't give it to you, okay? I, but I wanted to address it while it was there. Because I want to show you how Saul responds in verse 30. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Saul says, now Jonathan, I'm just doing this for you. I'm just doing this because you'll never be king as long as David is alive. And friends, I want you to listen this morning. 
when you are in sin, when you are rebelling against God, there is no excuse that you will not use to make it okay in your mind. Saul hated David. Jonathan could have cared less about the throne. He could have cared less about David and the songs that they're singing. This is Saul's hatred, and he is trying to blame it on someone else. And friends, you need to know there will be people in your life that try to do that to you. They will try to use their hatred and their sin to turn you against other people. But listen to what Jonathan says here in verse 32. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? And don't miss verse 33. Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved by it for David because his father had treated him shamefully. You see, Jonathan standing up for David could have cost him everything. And this morning I want you to know something. God loves you so much that he was willing to let it cost him his son's life to prove to you that he is faithful. The Bible tells us that God sent his son not to die for his sins because he had none. He didn't die to make salvation for himself because he is the way and the truth of the life. But the father sent the son to live a perfect life, to be beaten and spit upon and tortured, to have his beard plucked out and to have a crown of thorns placed upon his head, to have him be whipped and tortured as he carried the cross to Golgotha. He knew the cost when he put him on that tree. And yet Jesus made the choice to stay. When the Bible tells us he could have called down 10,000 angels to avoid the fate that he went through. But yet he cost everything for you to be saved. And for me to be saved. And I'm thankful that God was willing to pay that cost to forgive me of my sins. And Jonathan displays that Christian love. Not only does he go to bat for David, but he stands up for David. And friends, this morning I want you to know that in the lowest parts of your life, God will bring people into your life that will do that for you. And this morning I want you to know that God wants to use you to do that for other people. Listen to what Hebrews the 12th chapter says about Jesus and our faith. And how it cost him and the joy that it brought him. Looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy wasn't the crucifixion. The joy wasn't the fact that he was going to be beaten. The joy was the fact that Jesus knew that if he died and he was buried and he rose, that you could be saved. That you could experience forgiveness. That you and I could have hope that we did not have before. That you and I could be brought into the family of God and we would have the joy of what? Salvation. You see, Jesus knew the cost and paid it for you and I. And the third and final thing, and this title I really struggled with because I just could not 
find the right words. But being faithful doesn't mean we avoid loss. And the word I really wanted to use was heartbreak. Being faithful doesn't mean we avoid heartbreak. You see, so many times we've heard television preachers that tell us that if you'll just be a good husband, you'll just be a good wife, you'll just be a good church member, you'll just do what you're told, that everything will work out exactly the way that you want it. And that's not true. Friends, there'll be times that your integrity will cost you your job. There might be times when your faithfulness to someone that is going through a hard time costs you relationships with other people. But this morning, I want you to know that being faithful doesn't mean that we avoid loss. And so as we finish quickly here, starting in verse 35, it goes on and says, And so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David, and a little lad was with him. Then he said to this lad, Now run, find the arrows which I shoot. As the lad ran, he shot the arrow behind him. When the lad had come to the place where the arrow was which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan cried out to the lad, Make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the others arrows and came back to his master. But the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said, Go, carry them to the city. You see, I don't understand this. This is the reason. Jonathan has just told his father that David is not wrong. He has just been accused of treason. He has just been called a traitor. And so Jonathan has to find out how he can go to David without Saul following him and killing David. And so this young man would have went with Jonathan everywhere. He would have went on hunting trips with him. He would have went to battle with him. He would have carried his armor and been there. And so this was a normal day that Jonathan had used to meet David. And in this point, we see one of the most difficult passages of Scripture because it is so heartbreaking. Because you have two people who have done nothing wrong, but yet the sin of someone else is tearing them apart. And this is where it's going to get personal, and you can hate me if you want, or you don't have to. But today, if you're honest, all of us have been affected that way. The sin of someone else has affected our relationship with other people. It happens at church. It happens at home. It happens in families where someone else's sin has divided and tore a relationship that we have apart. And this morning I want to show you how you can respond to that. Because you can do a couple things. You can get even. You can get bitter. Or you can trust that God has a purpose. And so look what it says here in verse 41. As soon as the lad had gone, David arose from the place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept together, but David more so. I want to stop there again, because you can't skip anything when you're going verse by verse. There are people that actually believe that this verse teaches that Jonathan and David were homosexual. I want you to look. That is not in the original language intended that at all. It is just like if you had lost someone. And I think it is fitting that we are having this sermon on 912. Because I want you to think about yesterday. And I don't know if you've watched any of the videos, but I always watch on 9-11 the videos 
from the cockpits and from people that were in the World Trade Centers that have called their loved ones and, and listened to those because I want to always be reminded that you might not go home and I might not go home. And I was listening to the flight as they were getting ready to charge the cockpit and to take out the terrorists. And uh, one of the men was trying to call his wife and he couldn't get her. So he called the, uh, he called the operator and said, I want you to tell my wife that. And in those moments, you and I realize how overwhelming that is. And what has happened in this passage of Scripture is Don, Jonathan and David realize something. This is it. One of two things is going to happen. God's going to kill David because Saul is his man. Or God is going to kill Saul because David is his man. And Jonathan and David know that either way, this is probably the last time these men who are dear friends, closer than brothers from a different mother, are ever going to see each other. And they're broken. And so this is not homosexual in any capacity. It is what happens when real Christian love looks like. That people care about each other so much. And I want you to watch, if you've never watched in those videos uh, or listened to those conversations, because most of us take everything for granted. Take our family for granted. We take our friends for granted. We take our church for granted. But yet, as it proved all those years ago, that in a moment, it can all change. And so what it says here in verse 42, then Jonathan said to David, and I want you to hear this today because I want you to see how you can respond when your life is tore apart by the sins of other people. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace. Since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. You see, friends, being faithful might not only cost you something, but it might also break your heart. And you say, well, how does that have anything to do with God? I'm glad that you asked. In the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want to read these verses to you today because I'm preaching faster in the second service than I did the first service. I didn't get to read it to them. In Luke, the 22nd chapter, and this is the last thing we have, Starting in verse 39, I want to show you how brokenness can come even when you're faithful. In verse 39, it says, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, and he was accustomed as his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then the angel appeared to heaven from him, strengthening him, miracle and someone else. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow that he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptations. Think about this. Jesus was just being faithful. He was doing what God the Father had sent him to do. But yet here he is saying, Lord, Father, if it can be done any other way, let it be done. Can't imagine what that would be like. 
But friends, I can imagine if I was the sinless son of God, and if I had created everything that came into existence in that moment, being faithful was going to cost me the crucifixion, the brokenness. And so this morning, I want to challenge you to know that God loves you no matter where you've been or what you've done. You say, Jake, you just don't know how wicked I've been. I don't have to, but God does. And he loves you anyway. You say, Jake, you just don't know what I've been through and the hurt that I've experienced and the pain that I'm going through and the, and the personal attacks that I'm living through right now. You're exactly right. But I can promise you that God is with you. You say, Jake, I just, I'm so thankful maybe today for the people that God's brought into my life. Look around. That's what this is supposed to be. The goal of church is not for you to come listen to me yell at you. I will do that. Not a problem. But it is more than that. It is for you to live a life of faith toward God and with people that love and care about you. Are they going to fail you? Absolutely. Am I going to fail you? Absolutely. But hopefully we love each other enough that when life falls apart, and it will for all of us, that you're the phone call that someone makes. That I'm the phone call that someone makes. Why? Because I recognize that in the middle of the valley, God has created me for a purpose to be there for you and for you to be there for someone else, just like Jonathan and David were. But I want to say this to you because some of you are thinking, I'm a pretty good friend. Some of you might be thinking, I'm a pretty stinking awesome husband. Or you know what, I'm, real, I'm really good with people when they're having a hard time. There is no way to be faithful until you first know the God that is faithful. Friends, you can be a good friend, but you can't be someone that loves like Jesus unless you know the love of Jesus. You say, Jake, I, I've never told a lie about anyone. I've never told a secret. I've always been faithful. I've always been there for people. I would highly doubt that. But friends, this morning, if you want to really know how to love people that the world doesn't love anymore, if you want to really learn how to walk with people when everyone else says you're a fool for walking with them, it comes when you know the God that was willing to do that for you and who's willing to do it for me. And so this morning, I don't know if you're lost or saved this morning, but I want you to know that God loves you and he's proven it to you. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Jake, I am going through so much. I just don't understand how God could stay with me. He will. And he's brought other people to walk with you. Maybe you're here saying, Jake, I'm saved and I know that I've, been through the valleys, and I'm doing well right now, I'm in a good place spiritually, then God wants you to be the Jonathan in someone's David situation. You say, well, I'm just too busy, Jake. I don't have time to help people. I'm just too busy to love people. I got too much going on. Look up here. You are missing your purpose that you were created for. You say, Jake, but people are such a broken mess, and they're full of drama, and, and I, I'm not talking about Facebook drama. I'm not talking about helping people when they when you know when their when their big toe got hit by the I'm talking about real problems. I'm talking about when someone's kid comes home and says, Mom, Dad, I I don't know what gender I am. Now there's a truthful answer to say there, but there's also love and brokenness. Or when a husband comes home and tells his wife that he no longer wants to be married. When your employer calls and says, hey, you've done a great job all these years, but we're going to fire you. 
When the doctor calls and says, hey, I know that you thought you just had a backache, but it's cancer. Or when someone calls and says, we've lost somebody. There's been a death in our family. In those moments is where the love of God is at work. That's where God wants to use you as a church family. That's where God will work in your life if you let him. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I hope that you know that God loves you. I hope that you know that he died for you and will save you this morning. No matter where you've been or what you've done. There's not enough bad in you to keep you from Jesus because he can forgive you of all of it. And friends, there's not enough good in you to get you to Jesus because you're a sinner. But he promised to save you. That if you'll call upon his name today, he will save you and keep you safe. Maybe today you're here and you're just, your life is just, it's overwhelming. And you need to come and put your hope in the person and work of Jesus. Maybe you're here today and there's someone in your family that's hurting and broken and struggling and you just want to come and pray for them and say, Lord, help me to be that Jonathan in their life. Or maybe it's something totally different. I have no idea what's going on. But I want you to know today that God does. And so during this time of invitation, it's for you to do business with God or you don't have to do anything. Stay where you're at. Stay in the situation you are. But I really believe that God wants to work in your life this morning if you let him. And so if you would stand this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, these altars are open. As Brother Jamie begins to sing and Janice begins to play. How will you let God have his way in your life this morning? Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working, that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you, pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please, Reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.